You're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio with just a little bit of politics. Listen along as we interview some of the most experienced outdoorsmen in the industry today, where you'll learn valuable tips and tricks to make you a more successful hunter, shooter and fisherman. Here's your host of the Australian Hunting Podcast, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio. I'm your host Jason Selms and this is episode 44 and another episode of The Everyday Hunter. And joining me on the show today is Mark Vanden Bogart and I appreciate Mark coming on the show to uh, have a chat to us about why he loves to hunt and shoot, what it means to him to be a hunter, shooter uh, and fisherman here in this great country of Australia and share his experiences uh, on why he loves it so much. So thanks Mark for coming on the show, thoroughly, thoroughly appreciated having a chat to you. I know you've got a huge passion for hunting and shooting. And uh, you really enjoy getting in the outdoors with your photography and everything in between. So thanks again for coming on and sharing your thoughts and experiences. Always appreciated. Uh, Coming up on the show over the Christmas period 2013 slash early 2014, on the next uh, episode of the podcast, I've actually got a great one for you. And that's uh, new Senator-electee and uh, Liberal Democrat uh, David Lionholm has come on the show. And uh, this will be the longest interview uh, that David Lionholm has done since his uh, since the federal election. And again, if you don't know who the Liberal Democrats are or who David Lionholm is, at the last federal election, uh, the Liberal Democrats, and namely David Lionholm, got a significant vote to secure himself a Senate seat uh, in July of 2014 when he's elected uh, into the Senate. And uh, David is obviously pro-shooting, he's pro-hunting, and he loves his hunting and shooting. And uh, I always say it's great to have someone in there. (laughs) Of course, we don't want Greens in the Senate, so it's fantastic having someone like David that is an advocate of hunting and shooting, and uh, also concealed carry and libertarian views uh, on freedom, uh, reduction in taxes, and uh, an increase in liberty and freedoms, which is what I've been pushing recently about freedom. We have the freedom to uh, own firearms. We should have the freedom, I should say, to own firearms, and uh, it shouldn't be a privilege bestowed upon us by the government. Uh, So that's going to come out in December. That's David Lionholm from the Liberal Democrats, and some certainly some hard questions asked, and I think you're going to get a lot out of it. I think it was quite quite good, the things that David said, and uh, I hope you guys enjoy that. Also coming up on the podcast in uh, January or over the next few months, I've got, again, Hunt, Catch, Cooks, Jason Spencer to come on the show again to talk to you about that awesome thing called game cooking. We're going to talk about sausage making. We're talking about recipes for venison, uh, uh, rabbits, hares, uh, goats, a goat curry even I spoke to because I actually recorded that one last night and it was absolutely fantastic and uh, we're going to do that as a regular uh, on the show as well talking with Jason from Hunt Catch Cook about uh, getting that game meat from the field to the table so thanks a lot for that. Also got hopefully I haven't recorded this one yet but I got Beyond the Divides Rob Fickling. Uh, Beyond the Divide is a TV show uh, about hunting and shooting so I'm also going to be interviewing Uh, Rob sometime very soon about Beyond the Divide TV show. Um, That's pretty much about it. I've got a few more in the works that I don't want to mention yet because the guests haven't agreed on them, but lots more coming up. Now, if you want to find out about the Australian Hunting Podcast, go to the website. That's the best place to go, australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Uh, if you also want to go on the Facebook page, please, we're almost up to about 3,000, I think, on the Facebook page now, uh, Australian Hunting Podcast on Facebook, uh, Twitter, AH Podcast, AH Podcast on Twitter. Get in there. Uh, we're giving those politicians a run for their money, especially surrounding the suspension of public land hunting by the O'Farrell government here in New South Wales. Now, speaking of the O'Farrell government, if you check out my Facebook page, Uh, Sorry, Facebook, YouTube page, Aussie Feral Control. You'll see I went into Parliament House the other day and I spoke to Robert Borzak for a few hours, had lunch with him, and basically recorded a few videos for the SFP 
2015 election campaign. And uh, it was quite good, quite enjoyed, lots of stuff there. So definitely check out the YouTube page at Aussie Federal Control. I'd really appreciate it. Uh, also to my website, I used to have my Aussie Federal Control business uh, contract shooting website. That's now been integrated into the Australian Hunting Podcast australianhuntingpodcast.com.au uh, uh, website. Uh, I wanted to put them both together because I want to start uploading a lot more blogs to that and uh, bringing that up a little bit more instead of trying to manage two websites. I think that's really important just to bring it all back into one and tie it into the podcast. So uh, just letting you guys uh, know that. Uh, what else? If you want to email me, I'd love to hear from you. Australian Hunting Podcast at gmail.com. If you've got any constructive criticisms or you've got any ideas for guests that you want to have on the show, any ideas, please certainly send me an email. You know, I'd love to hear from you guys because that's what it's all about and getting you guys involved in questions and uh, getting people on the show. If you want to check iTunes, that is one of the best places to download the podcast. If you want automatic downloads for your iPad or your iPod, jump on iTunes, rate and subscribe five stars. If you're listening right now, please type in Australian Hunting Podcast on Google, go to the iTunes page, rate me five stars and leave a comment. Well, that's if you think it's deserving of uh, five stars and leaving a nice comment, but uh, it's always appreciated. We're on Stitcher.com. If you're anywhere in the world, you can listen to us on Stitcher.com. And always share the Australian Hunting Podcast with your friends and family. If you're getting into it, get them into these radio shows, get them into hunting and shooting and help them get a license because we need to keep moving and charging forward with licensed firearms owners here in the great country of Australia. Also, to one of our sponsors, Australian Hunters International, ozhuntersinternational.org.au. If you want to get your license, you want to find out how to become a shooter, you'll love it just like we do. I can promise you that. And I always had a motto, everybody loves guns, you just haven't touched them yet or you just haven't used them yet, whichever you may say. So uh, go to ozhuntersinternational.org.au. If you want to join the club, you can get in amongst their members. They can help you out. There's a wealth, an absolute extreme wealth of knowledge within uh, that organization to uh, get you into the hunting and shooting sports and uh, they'll help you out best way they know how uh, and get you into it because I tell you what it's fantastic I'm glad I got into hunting and shooting and you will too if you go ahead with it so uh, also too if you jump on the australianhuntingpodcast.com.au website uh, you got all the social media icons on the right-hand side to go through to Facebook, uh, Twitter, uh, YouTube, but also just below that, donations through PayPal. I have a regular group of people that donate to the show, and that's always appreciated, and I'd love to get more people donating to the show to help us out. I'm trying to get more out, and if you want to help out, if you want to write up questions, uh, you want to help contact guests on my behalf, or you want to become a, a Facebook administrator to help out and post up articles and news stuff and photos, uh, just email me and I'll certainly uh, add you onto one of those mediums. Uh, if you want to write stories for the blog for on the australianhuntingpodcast.com.au website, uh, please email me too and I'll create you as a user. I need people that are reliable, uh, that want to help out and want to move hunting, shooting and fishing forward in this country. And uh, if you want to write up blog posts, you want to be part of it and you want to be part of what we do here, please email me and I'll certainly got something for you to do. Uh, that takes my mind off a lot of things and can give me access to just concentrating on recording and getting the and editing these podcasts and getting them out as soon as possible. As you know, guys, I always appreciate all my listeners. Of course, I appreciate all my listeners. Absolutely. You guys are the reason I do what I do and the reason there's so many people downloading the Australian Hunting Podcast. Who would have thought three years ago, a couple of hundred people, not even that, 50 to 100 a week when I initially started the podcast, uh, to up until now, November 2013, over 25,000 downloads in the month of October in 2013. That's the whole 43 episodes of the podcast library. Uh, fantastic. I couldn't have done it without you guys, and you guys are the best. But I'm sure you don't want to hear me ramble like I always do initially at the start of the show. There's not much going on at the moment, so hopefully... Um, we see some positives back for state forest hunting here in New South Wales very, very soon. So I guess let's rock this show. Without further ado, let's get into my interview, The Everyday Hunter with Mark Vanden Bogart. Hi, this is Mark Vanden Bogart. I'm an everyday hunter and you're listening to Australian Hunting Podcast. Mark Vanaboga, welcome to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Pleasure to have you on, on uh, one of our segments, The Everyday Hunter. Thank you very much. Mate, thanks for the invite. I'm glad to be here. 
Absolutely, Mark. I guess, you know, tell us a bit about yourself, you know, whether, you know, do you hunt, do you shoot, do you fish, uh, all of the above, and how you got into each individual one? Sure. Um, I certainly, I do, I do all three. I'm a, I hunt, I shoot, and I fish. In terms of how I got started, fishing was always a bit of family activity for us. We, uh, whilst I live in Brisbane, our family had a small shack on one of the Bay Islands, so we were always around the water when we were growing up, and fishing's always been a part of our family life. However, the shooting and the, and the hunting never was, and I've always enjoyed the bush, and I've always enjoyed getting out and uh, being amongst it, and I think it was a bit of a natural progression for me. As I said, I never had any family or friends that I could... Uh, to kind of learn from so as soon as I was able that is as soon as I got a driver's license basically I just headed out to Belmont Rifle Range up here in Brisbane and and had a go and and it kind of went from there so for me it's always been a self-motivated and and self-driven activity. I started off uh, rifle shooting at the range and got an opportunity to do a bit of hunting. I wouldn't really say my first attempts were really hunting they were more armed bush walks really (laughs) <laughs> However, as I as I got along and you know I got learned a little bit more and spoke to more people and read a lot more, I suppose I got a, a little bit better at it each time. I had a bit of a break uh, from the hunting and, and shooting when I was at university, but in my early thirties I got back into it again by uh, running into a friend who was in pretty much the same situation. We got back into target rifle shooting again because obviously that was an easier point to start, but unfortunately for the target rifle scene, for us, it was probably a lot more competition and a lot less fun than we wanted to actually be having on our Saturday. So we uh, headed back to the old sporting shooters range there at Belmont and started all over again. And about five years ago now, we got involved with the Australian Deer Association, and from, from that point on, we kind of left the range behind and we, we became avid hunters and it's really blossomed from there for us. Um, I've always tried to hunt at least once uh, once every couple of months for over the last five years. And I've, I've been able to achieve that, which is really, really good. So it's all about my own personal desire to hunt, my own personal you know desire to get out there and amongst it, and that's really what's driven it for me. The terms of the shooting... Uh, the target shooting is, is fallen by the wayside, so now the only time I'm really at the range is really to practice from when I'm going hunting, which is, is not a great thing because I probably should do a little bit more practice and a little less hunting, but when I get the opportunity to go out bush, I go and I, I'll see how I go when I'm out there. Yeah, good stuff. I was saying, so you said your friends never hunted. Did you? Did you, your parents or your father ever hunt? Uh, and... No, I am um, completely um, clean skin in my family. Um no one. There were, my, my father certainly wasn't a hunter. Um, my mother was actually a vegetarian and probably would be horrified by my hunting activities <laughs> if she was still alive. Brothers, sisters, no, none of that. It was all really something I was just interested in. And uh, when I grew, I grew up in inner city Brisbane, um, and I mean real inner city Brisbane. So you know, we didn't have that kind of connection with with people on the land. We didn't know anyone who lived on the land. We didn't know anyone who had, had acreage. But I've always, for whatever reason, I've just always wanted to run into the trees and go scrub, and 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 that's kind of where it all started from. You know, it started when I was still, you know, eight, ten years old, and we'd catch a bus or catch a train out to to the the base and the base of a mountain or the mouth of the river or something like that, and we'd just go exploring, and then with push bikes, and then with motorbikes and cars, and there was always get away from the city and um, the hunting became really just kind of led on from that. When I was, I said, when I was about 18, I had my driver's license, so I just went out to the range and thought I'd like to have a go at this. Had no idea, I mean I had an air rifle growing up as a kid, um, that was my only experience of a firearm at all, so I, I, you know, I didn't know the difference between a rim fire and a centre fire, I didn't know the real difference between a shotgun and a rifle and so I just <laughs> went out to the range and filled in the paperwork and hired a rifle and away I went. So when I first started, I made a lot of mistakes. I probably bought a lot of gear that I shouldn't have bought. But I think we've all done that, mate. Yeah, it's been a big learning experience for me, and, and that's probably why I'm so keen on hunting because it's something that I've, I've myself motivated myself to get into, and so it's always been a bit of a learning experience 
And if you if you like learning like I do, it means you know you get lots of opportunities to speak to people, um, ask some opinions, ask some questions. A lot of times they give you advice that's a little bit conflicting, but you kind of deal with that. Reading magazines, any kind of source of information, I kind of chewed it up and and processed it and put it in place. Even things like you know learning how to learning how to process meat, learning how to skin, all those kind of things. Never had really any instruction in that, so it's always been a bit of a give it a go, see what you can do with it, and see what you make of it. Yeah, exactly. And you said, as you said, your, your friends and family never hunted. What did they um, think, you know, when you started, you know, getting into hunting and shooting? Was it a contentious topic? You know, obviously, you know, you, you're bringing home, you're bringing home game. And what's the what's the the friends and family and parents think of it? Uh, well, the um, the family was uh, never really keen on it. I'd, I'd have to be you know, be honest, but. Um, we don't have a particularly big family, so it was never a really contentious issue. You know, we kind of all, all of us kind of went our own way with the different things we did in our lives. My wife's always been very supportive. She herself comes from a, um, a you know, a, a rural background in, or, yeah, I suppose you call it a rural background in the UK, so, and has hunting and, and fishing in her family tree. So she was quite calm with, you know, it was quite all right with it and thought it was, you know, quite a normal activity. Um, but it, it was actually within my family that it was the, kind of the black sheep of the of, of the family, as you were. So yep. there wasn't a lot of, um, you know, there, it was raised eyebrows and things like that. But, <laughs> I mean, my lot of us were pretty understanding and pretty accepting of each other. But certainly I, I certainly went against, the, you know, the grain on a lot of things like that. Yeah, do you participate? I know you said you participated in rifles, uh, uh, but do you participate in any of the non-hunting related? So obviously you said rifle like clays or pistols or shotgunning clay targets, anything like that. I, I look, I've done a fair bit of it along the along the way because it's always been a learning. So like for instance, you know the, the first shotgun I ever bought, I, I bought a. That was when we were allowed to have pump action shotguns. I bought a pump action and. And I actually think I bought it from Kmart, to tell you the truth. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, so I did, a bit, I did a bit of clay work with it for a while, and then I got into simulated clay targets. I've done different types of competition rifle, from uh, lever action to full bore. Uh, never really got into the pistols. Uh, just It just hasn't, it's not something that's ever really appealed to me. But I suppose in terms of, you know, non-hunting, activities probably the last five years or four years the the most common non-hunting activity i've got into is is actually the writing and and the photography you know i've i've had a a few stories published now in with wsaa and a couple of the other magazines and that's that's certainly that writing and and storytelling and the photography is is really a big part of the whole hunting scene for me um strangely enough you get on the cover of SSAA and, and people actually recognise you in gun stores which is quite odd really the other odd thing is too is that uh, especially on the social media like Facebook I often get you know uh, messages from people asking me questions about you know hunting for this type of animal or hunting it's kind of people assume that you know hell of a lot were you talking about when you're on the front cover of those magazines but <laughs> I don't so I try to give people the best advice I can but I'm certainly no expert and uh, but I I just don't. I don't mind telling a story, so, and I don't. And I certainly enjoy a good yarn. So I think that's more where the writings come from than any desire to portray myself as anything but an expert. Um, but it certainly has been a, a a big part of my whole hunting, the, the writing and the photography. And I think I'm, especially this year, I'm learning leaning more and more towards photography and less and less towards hunting, which is not a good thing. But with family commitments, it's just mean it's been a bit easier to do uh, one-day hunts with lots of photography and a little bit of hunting rather than a multi-day. Yeah, I've got a question. Now, you know, obviously we're talking about you know, friends and family and hunting and some families do and don't accept it, but it's an interesting question I just thought of. Did you ever worry about, you know, what, you know, maybe work colleagues, friends, family ever thought about you hunting or thought about you in particular about hunting? Well, mate, I've never really been. Yeah, I suppose. Um, I did, mean, it worry, I did it worry? Did it worry you? I mean, I, I don't. I don't drive around um, with you know a banner on my car, but I'm never particularly worried about that. You know, um, 
I've always been fairly um, accepting of, of of my friends, whatever they do or don't do, and um, and I suppose in a way I, I assumed that they'd be the same with me. I mean, if if I don't know the people and they're not within my social group, I don't really mind what they think about me. Um, and certainly, I mean, I've, I, there is a few people that I know that in you know in the extended group through family and friends who don't like what I do, but most people have been quite accepting of it. Strangely enough, most people have been quite interested in it for you know, not as in to take it up, but actually just interested in understanding what I what I'm doing and and why I do it. So that's been quite a good part of it. But I've never really hidden it, as it were. You know, as mate, you can't hide it when you're on <laughs> True. when you're on the front cover of a magazine. Like, um, <laughs> well, last time I was on the double S double A, I had three or four, you know text messages with the photos from various people I know saying, look at this ugly mug, you should be locked up and stuff like that. So <laughs> never really worried about that part, what people would think. Um, again, probably because it's not something that, you know, it's I was bound to do or I had to do it or it was expected of me. Because it was something that was purely self-motivated, I've always been completely happy about doing it. Yeah, man. Let's talk about. We'll go into the hunting. You know, I guess uh, what's your what's your go-to animals? What do you or what do you enjoy hunting? Mate, I like to. I suppose I call it my trifecta, and I, I <laughs> yeah. do like I like goats, pigs, and deer. Um, I know a lot of guys are you know like the bunnies and the foxes and the wild dogs and things like that. Um, I, I certainly I've hunted all three of the you know of those animals, but for me the real focus is is the goats, pigs, and deer. The goats certainly because the you know they're uh, the more plentiful. I really do enjoy hunting pigs um, because of the challenge, and of course deer hunting is you know another level up again. Once you get into deer hunting and that gets in your kind of your bloodstream, it's pretty hard to get it out. That's a very very challenging animal to hunt, and if you hunt it in state forest or you hunt it on private blocks where they aren't in high numbers, you can spend a lot of time in pursuit of just a little blur off in the distance. And uh, so it's quite... The challenge of deer hunting is, is really, really special to me. Um, if, you, if you had to pick one, which would it be, that of those three, if you reckon you had yeah, to pick your number one? Thing, you see. I mean, if if I had to pick one and I was a hunt by myself, I'd say deer. If I was going to pick one and I was going to hunt with mates, it'd probably be pigs because pigs... Hunting, you know, you don't generally hunt deer with with more than one person, you know, you usually pair up with someone, but you can go out with three or four mates and you can hunt pigs in in, in, our, in the kind of environment that I hunt. So pigs and goats really give you the, you know, lend themselves to a, to a more of a social type hunting, whereas deer hunting is a much more individual sport. I mean, I know in Victoria with, with the hounds, you know, they hunt in larger groups and like that, but that's not the kind of hunting I've ever been exposed to. So for me... It's all about those uh, hunting with those uh, if, with mates. It's the ferals. If it's just by myself, it's always going to be uh, the deer. I've uh, hunted deer by myself on a number of occasions, and it, it is really a challenging activity, but it's something that's really rewarding as well. So once you do it, it's it's great fun. Yeah, exactly. All right. What's your uh, go? Let's talk about your go-to calibers. Uh, makes of firearms. What's your go-to? What do you enjoy shooting, and whatever sort of what have you got in the collection? Uh, I've got a fairly varied and an extensive collection of firearms over the years. It's I'm I'm actually refreshing my collection. I'm I'm getting um, more into less gear but better quality gear. From about 2009, I've been focusing on the on the ticker rifles. The reason is um, because of their their left hand range as a left hand. Left-handed shooter, when I first started, it was really mostly lever actions because, one, it was very hard to get a bolt-action rifle on left hand, and two, if you could, they were quite expensive. So the tickers have uh, given me an opportunity to, to get a, a good quality left-hand rifle and get a good good selection of calibers in left-hand rifles for a good price. Uh, you know, I really... Mostly hunt with 30 cows. I mean, I've got from a, a you know a, a, a 22 rimfire shotgun, a, a 2D3. To be but to be honest, those those three firearms, the the, the rimfire, the 2D3, and the, the shotgun, are all my safe coins now. They live inside the, the safe and they hardly ever see the light <laughs> of day. The ones that get most used is the uh, 
I've got um, my most recent purchase, which is a Ruger Scout um, you know, left-hand bolt action in 308. That's that gets a lot of work, and my pride and joy is a, a, a Ticker T3 in 3006 that I, I had a custom stock built. But that again only gets run. That, you know that runs half a dozen rounds or a year in in, in, in the hunting scene because that's my number one deer rifle. So. So I'm chasing deer, I'll use the 3006, but for just about everything else, I, um, I, I'm now using the uh, the Ruger Scout, and I'm becoming more and more impressed with it. It's a great little rifle to, to carry around. It's, it's remarkably accurate. It's got a fairly significant magazine capacity, and that 308's really good for the for the heavy scrub if you, you, you're chasing you know, medium-sized games like pigs and goats and deer. Um, I don't hand load. I'm, uh, I'm, I use factory ammunition. I mean, I've got every intention of handloading, but I've never got around to it. And uh, so I, I'm, I'm, I use the factory gear, and I find that both the ticker and the, the Ruger seem to like the, the various factory ammo. So they shoot well, they do the job. And uh, as I said, for the, for that heavy scrub, especially if you're used to hunting in state forests, uh, the 30 cal really comes in handy with that heavier scrub. Exactly. If you could, maybe you could break it down to us, tell us, you know, what does it mean to you to be a hunter, you know, shooter or fisherman or all of the above in Australia? What what does it mean to be getting in the outdoors, and what does it mean to be a shooter and a hunter? It, it's a it's a it's a it's a funny question that one because it's it's personally it, it's really an activity that it, it's hard to well it's hard to describe what it really is for a start, but. Because it's such a personal pursuit, um, it's really about what you think about it in terms of you know your own opinion on fishing and hunting. It's everyone's got their own opinion, but because it's such a personal pursuit, it's, it's really hard to define it for what it means to me. But I think about it this way: there's so many people now who live in the cities, uh, you know, not only in Australia but around the world, and that's increasing. And so if you're a person who actually hunts and fishes, that is, you go out and you collect meat and you, or you collect, you know, you collect meat from game or you go out and fish and you collect fish, you're actually becoming part of a rare breed, you know, um, especially if you are living in the city. I mean, if you're still in the country area or rural area or you're by the seaside, you might be doing a lot more fishing or hunting than, than other people. But if you're a city-bound person like myself and you can actually get out and hunt and fish on a regular basis. It really means you're you know, you're kind of a bit different from the ordinary, and that's one of the things I most like about or what it really means to me. It's about getting out and doing something that is not part of everyday city life. It's about I don't know if it's getting back to nature or it's actually reconnecting with nature is probably a better way to do it, but. A better way to say it, but getting out there and hunting or fishing, and I mean fishing's great. You know, I love it just as much as I love my hunting. Though with time constraints, probably my hunting's taken over my fishing um, over the last few years. But getting out there and doing it you know, on a regular basis, and you know, being self-sufficient for a few days at a time, and and leaving the city lights behind, is really something that's special and when you talk to people who don't do it you realize how much their lives revolve around the city and activities in the city and how much your life doesn't and that's that's probably where the real meaning for it for me comes in that idea that I'm doing something that I don't know if you want to say you know it's it's what you're supposed to do or something like that but you're doing something that's very different in a, in a modern context, which is, you know, it, and which is something that's so rewarding and so individually focused in a modern context, is, which is what I really, really like about it. Yeah. And what keeps you coming back, uh, you know, month after month when you, you know, you're looking forward to your next hunt? What is it about that keeps, keeps getting you to come back? I, it's, it's, again, that's a really, really difficult um, question um, about why I keep doing it. Um, I said, you know, I've been doing this on and off since I was 18, and I've never had a, a you know, a role model or, or someone to follow. So it's always been myself wanting to do this, and it's. I try to explain it to people when I'm hunting and what it means to hunt or what it actually feels like to hunt. It's, and it's, it's a very difficult thing to describe, but for some reason, when I'm hunting, if I'm being out for a couple of days. 
it seems like you're actually your body's working properly you know your, your senses are uh, turned on you're noticing everything you you're in, you're aware of your environment you're more careful you're more considered you look at things you know the world doesn't pass you by everything actually seems to slow down and you become much more focused and attuned and you know always say that after a day or two you can actually start to smell the game you know you get this you, know, you get the smell of the city out of your nose and your nose actually starts to work in you can smell different things and you can hear things and you can see things and for whatever reason it just feels like I get this level of participation in the, in the natural world that I simply don't get by living in the city and um, that's one of the reasons why you know I I'm a hunter and not a not a bushwalker or not a you know the person who visits national parks because well I mean I certainly do but I don't that's not my activity and I don't want to be a tourist or I don't want to be an observer I actually want to be a participant I actually want to be involved in the natural world and I find that you know that's what hunting really does it actually kind of connects you back into the natural world and certainly you know living in a city of 1.5 million people and more and growing every day being able to connect to that natural world is really, really special. And I've found that my hunting allows me to do that much more quickly. So now if I simply take the, my son for a bushwalk up, up the gap here, you know, where we live, and we go up the, up the scrub, within an hour, you know, I'm not hunting because I'm going to rifle with me, but I'm, I'm hunting, you know. I'm, I'm looking at the ground, I'm looking at prints, I'm looking at, you know, animal sign, I'm picking up game traps through the grass. I'm noticing things that most people just kind of walk straight over whilst they're pretending that they're enjoying you know, the, the serenity and the environment and marching up and down a, a paved track. I'm actually noticing things and I'm noticing, you know, animals. I mean, the amount of, you know, amount of game you see when you're out or just, you know, natural, uh, sorry, nat native animals you see that people seem to walk straight past. And I feel that that's what the hunting lifestyle gives you. It gives you that much more of a connection and a, a level of participation in, in the natural world rather than just like an observer or a tourist. Yeah, yeah. Mate, do you hunt? Look, this is a sort of a contentious issue, not only amongst, uh, you know, the general public, but also, you know, hunters as well. Perhaps, you know, do you hunt for meat? You know, just do you, just, do you think it's a sport, a pastime, a hobby? Do you think it's your culture? Or do you just hunt for, say, feral animal control? So why do you hunt in particular? You know, the other part of your question about is it culture, it's... I don't know. I, I really don't know what my culture is. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm Australian. Whatever that culture is, I'm unsure. But certainly, um, hunting's more than a sport or an activity for me. And um, so, it's got to be, it's got to be part of my culture. There's no doubt about that. I just don't know exactly where it fits in and, and how you might describe it. But as I said, uh, I don't regard hunting as a sport or you know or an activity or a pastime. It's it's something much more ingrained um, and something much more um, a part of me than I'd ever think about in terms of a sport. I mean, I can walk away from a sport pretty easy if I you know I don't like the team or I don't like how we're going or something like that. Uh, and even shooting, you know, I I walked away from competition shooting because I didn't I didn't regard it as as how I wanted to spend my Saturdays, but. I'd have a real hard time walking away from hunting, and um, I, I really don't think I could walk away from it unless there was a, you know, I physically couldn't hunt anymore, or unfortunately, or something horrible like it became illegal or something like that. So I'd say it must be part of my culture. I just don't know how to properly define that. Um, in <laughs> terms of for me, I uh, certainly the game. Uh, probably the first person in my family tree for a long time. There's always game meat in our fridge here at, uh, at where we live, uh, be it deer or goat or pig or combination of the three. Um, and it might be a couple of types of deer. It might be red deer and fallow deer. It's, um, there's always game meat here. And, and so I do collect for game. We do eat the meat, but we also use the meat in, in other ways, you know, bones and things like that for the dog. But in that Labrador of mine is... He's probably the healthiest looking hunting dog in the world. He eats very well. And and I do take a bit of trophy, but I'm not a real trophy hunter as such. But I mean I've got you know, I'm sitting here in my office and uh I got, you know, some gate horns that I, I, I got on the wall and downstairs in in, 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 in the in the garage is a fellow 
antlers hanging up and there's a couple of red antlers uh, hanging up and there's also a couple of red and uh, goat mounts down there as well and there's some some decent sized pig hooks here that on on my desk as well so I do take a trophy but I you know I've got no shoulder mounts or anything like that don't know why I think I think I like my trophies to probably be a little bit more personalized so it's stuff I take when I'm out in the field rather than hunting specifically for trophy. I mean, I've got no problem with people who hunt for trophy. That's, that's the way they want to approach it, but it's just not something that's in the approach for me. So all really, I, it, it's all it's all part of the, the whole cycle with, you know, taking meat, the culture, and also, you know, I, I think the conservation hunting is a really, really important part of it. Yep. Mate, I know you hunt in state forests, uh, you know, a, a fair bit as well when you're hunting as well, but... You know, what was your take, you know, when obviously the government decided to suspend public land hunting in New South Wales? Look, you know, as a as a Queenslander, we were always kind of invited guests, but I, I have heard that, you know, 10% of the R licence holders are Queenslanders and most of them live in the, the southern part of the state, which only makes sense because, you know, it's access to, to, um, to New South Wales is a lot easier. So that's 2,000 you know, people who had a licence that was current in another state. Now, I don't know in any other circumstance that that might be the case. So, you know, whilst we're from Queensland and and the art licence was New South Wales, there was a really strong connection amongst a number of us up here in Queensland about the ability to hunt in New South Wales for the art licence. So when it got, you know, taken away, we didn't take it particularly well. I mean, we saw it as, as for what we, I believe it was, as a political move. There's no, there's never been any, any kind of real um, argument that it should have stopped. It seemed to be a completely political um, issue, but it was one of those issues that, as someone from afar, we really didn't understand the, the nuts and bolts of what was going on. But there was no, there was no, there was no major incident. You know, no one. There was no one, no one, no one got got hurt or something like that. There was, it was, it seemed to be a bit of a beat up from this end of town, to tell you the truth. And it seemed to be uh, a move that was made for purely political reasons, and may very well have created a bit of blowback from. Because I know personally, if we were going to hunt down in the Pilliga, for instance, in New South Wales, we would spend a considerable amount of money driving from Queensland down to New South Wales and spend a lot of money down there, you know. And we were yep. part of, of that regional tourism. And with the ADA in, in here in, in Queensland, um, we used to, well, we were hoping to run it again if, if the uh, state forest reopened, but there was a, a, a yearly state hunt, we call it, to um, Nundal. And that might attract 20 people over that week of, um, of the hunt. You know, so that's, say, 10 vehicles driving down from various parts in Queensland, driving down the New England Highway, spending money all the way along on fuel and food and, and so on and so, so forth, pulling up in uh, Nundle, having a feed, going up in the state forest, staying up in that state forest and, and buying, you know, for 20 people a week's worth of ice and, you know, beer and, you know, chips and all sorts of other things that you tend to want to have a splurge on in the afternoon and <laughs> driving down to Nandal, spending the money. So we we saw the economic benefits of it because, you know, we were living it. We were spending the money. So, you know, we were driving it, you know, 800 k's one way. So we knew what was going on in terms of economics. So we, we really, I mean, I can't say we, but for myself, I saw it as purely a political move and I and not a good move, and I'm wondering if they're now realising what that's actually actually meant to them and what that's actually going to cost them, because I'm sure there's a lot of small towns that made considerable you know, incomes in terms for, for a small town, and that income's now gone. Yeah, what do you think about, you know, uh, like, do you, do you follow the politics? Do you love it? Do you hate it? Do you, you know, what do you normally think about, you know, firearms ownership in Australia at the moment? Mate, I, I I have to admit I'm a bit of a political animal. I don't mind I don't mind uh, the politics as 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 a, as a study, um, and so I mean I, I probably got a relatively good understanding of of the New South Wales politics around our licence. But I mean, 
in the wider context of, you know, I suppose for want of a better word, gun politics in Australia, I must admit that, and this might, a few people might not agree with me, but there's a lot of, a lot of people yell on about rights and um, I'd much rather that we talked about responsibility and about, you know, responsible gun ownership and how that separates us from people who don't responsibly use firearms in a responsible manner or, you know, who aren't responsible owners. And that's, for me, the, the whole crux of the, the, the debate. You know, um, there's very few instances in, in, in daily life where if you own something, for instance, you, you know, you buy yourself a brand new V8 Commodore or something like that, and then down the road some idiot, you know, gets a skin full of grog and crashes his V8 Commodore in a, in a power pole and, and, and kills himself or, God forbid, kills someone else. Very unlikely the copper's going to come around knocking on your door and saying, we're going to take your Commodore off you because someone else crashed their Commodore. Yeah, true. However, if some fool does something with a firearm, somehow I'm held responsible either through, you know, indirectly or directly. So, you know, the association is placed on me that I could be irresponsible because that person's irresponsible. And that doesn't generally happen in life, you know, because people wouldn't accept it. But with firearms, it's almost like we're expected to accept that if someone does something irresponsible, so, you know, there's, there's a firearm-related crime or something like that. Somehow there's, you know, the spotlight kind of gets shone on all of us who are responsible owners. And I don't mind that I have to have a gun licence. I don't mind that I have to store my firearm safely. I actually think that's a good thing. And I don't mind that, you know, I'm expected to be reasonably comp competent in its operation. However, if I jump all over all your hurdles that you set up for me to own it, I then would hope that you actually regard me as responsible enough to, to let me get on and do with it. But that doesn't seem to happen. And it makes me wonder that if a lot of the, the, uh, the you know, the angst and the, and the, the anger and the, and, the, and the, you know, the name calling that's associated with firearm ownership is not about the actions of a few individuals. It's more, it, for me, certainly it feels like there's just a lot of people who don't want me to own a firearm. And those people will, will say and, you know, do anything to, to promote their case that I shouldn't own it. And I can't say that I, I, I support that approach. I don't like banning things just because you don't like them. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a lot of TV shows on, you know, there's a lot of shows on TV right now that I don't particularly like. And I'm not going to write in and say ban them. What I'll do is I'll just change the channel and not watch them. And uh, if you don't like me owning a firearm, okay, I can accept that. But please don't try and ban me from doing it because you simply don't like the fact that I do. And I think that's a lot of the, the you know, the underlying the underlying energy that's anti-firearms in this country is, is because it's based on the fact that people just don't like other people owning firearms. Yeah, exactly. I say it's a good point. Like the Greens, they want you to be, you know, tolerant of, you know, vegetarian ways, which is fine. I don't care what anybody else does. Um, and we've even seen that, as someone brought up that the other day, as much as it's, it's not kind of sounded funny at the time, you know, the gay movement as well, that's, you know, that's another interesting thing where, you know, as a friend said to me the other day, back in the 80s, you wouldn't have told anyone you were gay. Now, the 20, you know, 2013, you know, uh, there's political parties, you know, uh, advocating for same-sex marriage, depending, it doesn't matter what, it's not just the gay or, gay or lesbian sort of community, it's everything that we're doing these days, you know, but just people seem to have a booth with the firearms and for some reason, just want to ban it. I don't understand. Like, we all need to be tolerant, provided that, as you said, that person's proficient, that person's got a license. I don't. I agree people should have a license too. I think I think that's an appropriate to vet people to make sure they're, you know, with proper uh, sound mind to own a firearm. But anything beyond that, I think just, you know, starting to get, you know, too much regulation and taking away from freedoms in this country. So, interesting point there, mate. Interesting point. Mate, to finish off, tell us one of your stories, mate. I want to hear something juicy for the listeners. You know, <laughs> might it be a, it could be a hunting story, could be a funny one, could be one of mate. your best days on those goats. Just tell me, tell me something that's good in, uh, in, a, in a, one of your hunting experiences in, in, in the life of Mark Van and Bogart. I'll tell you two, mate. I'll tell you a funny one. And, Hit me. And, and I'll end it with a good one. Uh, when we first, as I said, uh, I hunt with a, a guy called Tim, and he's, you know, he's probably my number one hunting mate. And uh, we decided that uh, we were going to go on a guided hunt. And um, 
we'd never really done it before. We, we'd never done it before. And uh, so, you know, we, we, we looked at the various magazines and all this stuff, and we got on this guy, you know, and we got on his website, and we saw all the pictures and all this stuff, and we said, this is it, this is the one. So we, you know, got on him and paid the money, and uh, it was in, in uh, Big Land, far north Queensland. So, uh, so we... We decided we were going to drive. We we're going to make a bit of a road trip of it, and you know, so it was going to be a great, grand adventure. And so we jumped in the jumped in the car. It was a two-day drive up. On the first day up, we saw uh, you know we saw pigs on the side of the road, and we just were near Taroon there, and we were just so excited. We thought, oh, this is this is the you know, great home, and we're going to have a crack of a week away. And you know, and it, when we were getting close to the property, we saw some. Uh, you know, these, those ones at Troon, they were, it was a mob of live pigs too. They weren't dead on side of the road. Though we we saw a mob of live pigs. We watched them for about ten minutes through the binos, and then when we got close to this property, we saw a couple of you know a bit of roadkill on the side of the road, and it was pigs. And we thought, oh, we're on. You know, we're on. So we get there, and we we it's a significant drive. You know, we we finally get to this property. It's a huge property, and we drive in, and we get to the the, the permanent camp, and you know we're all excited. So we go out in the afternoon, and we we don't see anything, and that's our first day, and everything's pretty right. And it starts to follow a bit of pattern. Like uh, every, you know, I think it was about day three, um, we hadn't seen a single pig, and we were getting a little bit bit, bit nervous in service, and uh, I don't know who it was if, if how it came about, but uh, one of us, and I actually think it might have been my mate Tim. You know, just as we were leaving camp, and we jumped into the uh, the guys back of the guys' yet, you know, and he said, "Take me to the pigs." You know, he just kind of didn't yell it out, but he said, "Take me to the pigs," and we had a bit of a laugh when we went out, and you know, and again that day we didn't see any pigs, and uh, boy, um, the next morning, you know, we were both going, "Take us to the pigs," and it became like a bit of a cry, you know, a catch cry. Because after seven days on this guided hunt, we we hadn't seen a pig, and it came by last day, and no pigs. So our first guided hunt, you know, was 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 seven days, a fair fair chunk hunting pigs, and we didn't see one. We didn't even get, we didn't even close a bowl on one. We didn't see one. We didn't take a shot at one. <laughs> so we, we we described it as the best farm stay we ever went on. You know, that's how we describe it. And then we were driving out. The kids are not. We're driving out. We went through the last main gate, and then we got to a, um, a bit of a creek crossing, which I think is actually the uh, uh, the Torrens up there in far north Queensland. And sure enough, we turn, you know, right hand and have a look down the creek, and there's the pigs on the side, on the side oh, of the road. No. Property. So yeah, that was uh, that was uh, to date. That's my one and only guided hunt. Uh, seven days. <laughs> How long was seven uh, days of nothing? <laughs> seven days of nothing. To, uh, four days of driving. So that was that was the uh, that's my uh, my one guided hunt to date. Um, we are planning to go on another one this year, uh, next year. We've done a hell of a lot of research and we think we found a good bloke. So, uh, but we're a little bit gun shy on on the uh, the guide. Yeah. But uh, another hunt that we did really well on that comes to mind is um, was the last big trip we done down to Pilliga in uh, in country New South Wales under the R license. That was really a, a great hunt. We were, uh, there was four of us, and um, one of the reasons why it was so great is of basically there's there's a bit of a crew of us who are you know a hunting crew, and um, there's four of us and. Tim and I have been friends for years, but we've um, raffed up with another guy by the name of Darcy, who's an older guy but and very, very knowledgeable, but he was really looking to, you know, do some kind of hunting that he hadn't done before and hunt with some people that he hadn't hunted before. And, you know, he approached us and said, guys, would you like mind if I came on one of the next trips away? And we said, yeah, and come along with us. And, and like, you know, whenever you hunt with someone brand new, you never really know what they're going to be like. And but Darcy's turned out to be a friend, you know, and he's now part of the, the crew. And the other guy, Simon, was a, a guy that we actually met while we were away on a state forest hunt. He was hunting in the st- same state forest, and he was hunting by himself. And we said, you know, you can hunt with us. And again, he's become part of that. So all four of us went down to Pilliga, and um, we decided to camp in the forest proper. So, we, you know drove the 35Ks off the highway to one of the small little campsites, if you want to call it that, and pulled up. And we had four days down there, and it, it was stinking hot, as it is down there at that time of year, but 
it was a fantastic uh, hunt. I think we um, we we took about 25 to 30 goats amongst us. We saw well over 50 or 60. Saw some pigs. Never got onto them properly, but we saw them. But the whole day, you know, the whole trip was just fantastic. You know, we we were throwing out um, the pots in the morning in one of the local dams, and, and we're getting food every day. You know fresh yabbies every day for, for dinner and we were taking goats every day and we whenever we went out you know we were bringing back animals and we were bringing back the meat and we actually quickly filled up the fridges um, of the meat but you know just going out in the morning and what we were doing was we were kind of pairing up so two guys would basically head north and two would head south or you know head east or west because Pilliger is so big you can do that and we'd spend all day driving around or, or half days and we might come back to camp for lunch and we would just feed so much game and we'd have so much opportunity to take game, you know, and we'd be we'd be in that in that pillager pel- scrub and we'd be cased from anywhere and, and it was just a fantastic fantastic trip and I've um I kind of got a bit attached to the pillager. I, I find it a really, really for me it's a really important place and since that last trip, I've done a lot of research on it. There's a couple of books have been written about it, and I've read up about it and um, understood a lot more about why there is goats there and why there is pigs there and why there's scrub bulls in there, and you know, and why there's some in the middle of nowhere you'll find a windmill and why you'll find an old coal mine and who actually or gold mine and who actually ran that mine and. So uh, the, the hunting's actually really connected me with that, that million odd acres down there of, of the Pilliger and um, that's one of the hard things to really explain to people when you go out and when you when you go out in the bush and you go out and hunt and you, you spend days away from any other kind of, you know, any any city or town so you're completely self-sufficient. You actually recon- you or you, you connect or you reconnect if you've been there before with that place and I've got a real a real connection with the Pilliger now, and I, I can't wait to get back there. I've actually considered if you know just driving down there and just simply camping in there until I'm able to hunt there again. But I don't know if that's such a good idea because I might I might miss the hunting too much when I go down there, so I might leave <laughs> the, I might not do that. But it's um, the hunting the Pilliger and, and being in in that in that that scrub country and then that sand country down there and is really really special special to me and it's a special time and it's also a special place so I really can't wait to get back and uh, explore it some more so that's probably the, the you know the the good the good ending story for me that the hunting down in the Pilliger in New South Wales. Mark let's hope mate state forest hunting is reintroduced or unsuspended as soon as possible eh? so all the you know the R licensed hunters not only here but from you know uh, uh, northern Victoria New South Wales and that southern part of Queensland We'll be able to use uh, state land hunting again to be able to get in there and, and make a difference on feral animals. But thanks for coming on the show to uh, share your ideas, um, what you like, and uh, being part of the Everyday Hunter uh, series here of podcasts we've got going on. So I appreciate your time in sharing uh, your knowledge on this show today. So thanks again. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Mate, I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, it's it's certainly uh, not something that you get asked to do every day, and I suppose it's another benefit of, of being involved in the hunting scene. You you get to talk to different people and who, who do different things like yourself. So it's been really really interesting. I I really appreciate the opportunity. So thanks very much. You've just been educated, and this is the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time.